0: to get started visit plushcare.com slash weight loss that's plushcare.com slash weight loss
1: i'm helena bonham carter and for bbc radio 4 this is history's secret heroes a new series of rarely heard tales from world war ii they had no idea that she was britain's top female codebreaker. we'll hear of daring risk takers
2: What she was offering to do was to ski in over the
1: high Carpathian mountains.
3: Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his
1: friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Tortoise.
3: Hello. A new version of an old line has been doing the rounds this weekend. Why did 80,000 people boo President Emmanuel Macron at the opening of the Rugby World Cup? The answer, it's the capacity of the stadium. In the Tortoise newsroom, we can take the longer, slower view, and fair enough, it's 1,305 days until the next French presidential election. But listening to that crowd, not everyone booed, of course, you can't help but be reminded that the big political question for France, and by extension Europe too, is is going to be whether it's set for its own Trump-Brexit moment. Will Marine Le Pen, currently leading in many polls, finally become president of France in 2027? Not one for today, I know, but it did make me think one to watch. I'm James Harding. I'm joined by Tortoise editors Jess Winch and Jeevan Vasagar. Jeevan, hello. Hi, James. It's yes, very good to have you. And we're delighted that Rob Hutton's joined us Hello. too. Rob, really good to have you with us. Um, Rob is the sketch writer for The Critic, wrote about politics for Bloomberg, um, as I suspect we might discuss, has written a fair bit about spying and espionage and uh, the world of the secret squirrel. But I just wanted to pick up one thing, Rob, before we get started. There was a line in your sketch last week, which was Penny Mordant saying... This is not a quote zombie parliament, in much the same way that she said Liz Truss <laughs> is not hiding under a desk. And I just wonder, Do you think sketch writing is basically just writing down the choice things that people say?
4: I, if only it were that easy. I think. <coughs> I think if you do it, if you, on, on a good day, I think that you both convey what happened and you you convey not just how it felt to be there, but but really sort of, kind of the the movement of what's going on. I mean, it was really. When, when the sort of when the, the conservative MPs were falling out of love with Boris Johnson, and it was quite hard, I think, for reporters to factually report that because a lot of it was it was vibes. Yeah. But as a sketch writer, you can sort of talk about the fact that they're not so much, you know, that, that suddenly the benches behind him are empty, or you can sort of feel this move. You can see people sort of moving to the edges of the chamber, not to be near him. You could you during quasi Quateng's kamikaze statement budget thing last year you could write about the faces on MPs behind him the people the look of people who passengers on an airplane who've just heard over the intercom (laughs) that they've got a new pilot who's got an interesting theory about gravity that he's always wanted to test (laughs) and that was that was what it felt like and I thought we could do that actually almost better than Better than, better than I could when I was a straight news reporter.
3: I love the idea that you could have a news department and a vibes department. Yeah. Maybe that's <laughs> what we really need. Um, it's the week beginning the 11th of September from Tortoise. Welcome to the news meeting.
2: Rescue teams in Morocco are battling to reach people still trapped in the rubble following Friday's earthquake.
0: Many are simply inconsolable. After weeks of controversy, Luis Rubiales resigned as president of the Spanish
3: Football Federation. I cannot continue my work.
2: The Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, has said she's commissioned advice on whether American bully XL dogs should be banned. Well, it's almost like something out of a Cold War era spy novel. The Sunday Times reports uh, that a parliamentary researcher working in the building was arrested in March under the Official Secrets Act.
3: There 's obviously one human story that has dominated the others this weekend. the earthquake in Morocco, the count I think at the moment is two thousand dead, possibly more. and I should say, Jess, I confess to feeling two kinds of guilt around these natural disaster stories there's one which is that the water wall coverage is formulaic, you know the wailing mother, the spectacle of grief, and then the other guilt is that once that 's over, the story is met with neglect, yeah, and so I'm not sure we have much from this newsroom in London to add to the coverage of Morocco, but I just wondered what you think, just going back to February and the earthquake in Turkey, what's happened since, what's happened in the coverage since?
1: I think the coverage has dropped off in much the same way as the assistance dropped off. I think people, particularly in northern Syria, I think the reconstruction efforts in Turkey have been a lot better. But I think people in northern Syria feel largely forgotten. And actually in July, a UN resolution allowing cross-border aid to go across into northern Syria was stopped. So it's got even harder because everything has just become so political. And I think that's a really good example of why it is so important to try and come back to these mm-hmm. disasters, not just, as you say, do the wall to coverage and then move on, but to periodically return and think, OK, how many people are still displaced? How many people are left with lifelong injuries? How many people have been killed? How much money has gone in to try and rebuild? Interesting. Cheven, what do you think of it?
5: You're right, James. I mean, there is, there is a pattern, isn't there, where you focus on the sort of rescue stories and you think about the institutional failings and you forget all about it in a few weeks' time. And I think what interests me most about these stories is kind of what what happens to permanently change people's lives as a result. Does anything really reset? Do we really sort of, do their societies really, do our societies really transform as a result of these kinds of shocks?
3: It's it's a really difficult one, this. I just think how you keep tabs on a story like this, particularly when the dramas change, the pictures change, you know, uh, uh, anyone I think who is in the uh, emergency aid, long-term refugee relief business would share that, but it's not hardly a new problem. Um, All right. Beyond Morocco, what are the stories that should lead the news uh rob welcome you you're here to make sure that we don't sink into some terrible tortoise group right. think so please feel free uh to challenge away and if you're listening to the news meeting you can also do the same just write to us newsmeeting at dot and suggest what you think should lead the news or essentially tear a strip off us for missing the story that mattered when you each pitch your story long story short in a line rob you go first
4: china crisis is uh is where has westminster been infiltrated um, by uh, Secret Spooks from uh, far
3: away. I like Jess. the way that you said that in a
4: newsboy's
5: yeah. tone. <laughs> <laughs> We've
3: got a whole new thing, exactly. It's not the it's not the co- content. It's, just it's the how tone. you say it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Jess. that's well, pressure now. Two words, chop local. Chop. chop
3: local rather than shop local.
1: I know, you see what I did there?
3: I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah. It's the end of the world as we know it. Oh, always <laughs> oh, good to have you. Deep. <laughs> Jess, why don't you go first?
1: So this is this is a story about what happens when your council runs out of money. Earlier in the summer, Woking Council announced that it had effectively gone bankrupt. And this was a story that we covered in the news meeting. A guest, Hashim Mohammed brought it up. And it has really stayed with me over the summer as a story uh, that shows you what it what is. it's a story that is an alarm bell that we should be paying more attention to. And then last week, what I saw is that Woking Council has now released a kind of package of cuts. So it gives you an idea of what the real impact of a council declaring bankruptcy is going to be.
3: Actually, just this, we got a voicemail from someone in Tony making the same point about another city. Quite a big one. Have a listen.
1: Hello, News Meeting team.
3: It's Tony Young. I live in Birmingham and I always listen to your podcasts. This week,
5: Birmingham City Council declared bankruptcy... Birmingham is the UK's second biggest city by population and this announcement will impact many people's lives, especially the most vulnerable. Services provided by councils are fundamental for many people, such as social housing and child and adult care. Several local authorities have also declared bankruptcy in the last months and more are common as they suffer financial difficulties.
1: Yeah, so Tony's completely right. The, the Birmingham City Council announcing bankruptcy, I think, has got everyone's attention because, as he said, Birmingham's the second largest city in the UK. It's one of the largest local authorities in Europe. And I think what's, what we're seeing now playing out in working is what we will see happening in Birmingham and all these other local councils that are probably going to declare bankruptcy in the next one to two years, which is... What Woking have started proposing, this is going to consultation in October, that is it is things like scrapping funding for sports pitches and pavilions, removing public toilets, closing a swimming pool, cutting millions of pounds in resources for parks and for playgrounds, ending grants for community transport for elderly and disabled people... Removing things like funding for a choir and dance classes for residents with Parkinson's disease. Removing funding for a local charity that helps victims of domestic abuse. And these things might not be considered essential spending for local councils. Those are things like uh, bin collection and housing and adult social care. But they really matter. That's It's part of what makes the community survive. And I think particularly when we're in a cost of living crisis, which isn't going away either. These things matter even more.
3: Why are they running out of money?
1: So a bit like a lot of bankruptcies, it seems to have happened gradually, then suddenly. So if you can, it sort of traces right back a bit like you can talk about it in the same way as sort of crumbling concrete in the NHS, that austerity cuts that began under David Cameron's government is where it seems to have a lot of this started in that uh, I think government funding to local authorities was cut by 40% in real terms in the decade to 2020. Partly as a result of that, some councils started gambling on quite risky investment schemes. And then that was combined in some cases as well with just what looks like phenomenal mismanagement. Um, Woking Council in particular, I think could be guilty of that because they managed to rack up debts of around 1.8 billion. This is not a party specific problem. This is happening across conservative run councils, Labour run councils and Woking is Liberal Democrat.
4: I mean, last week in in the Commons, uh, the Tories were being very I just, it struck me as incredibly foolhardy, sort of talking about Birmingham as just, just goes to show that you can't trust Labour to run things. And Ridiculous. I sort of thought, <laughs> yeah, guys, that's an enormous can... bet that there are no Tory councils about to f- do exactly the same thing, which we all sort of know
3: they are. The story that Britain's not working and not working as it should is settling in. What I don't know is what Labour does, because they're saying they're not going to spend any more than the Conservatives.
1: Yeah, I think Keir Starmer last week when he was asked about it said that they, he wanted better longer term settlements for councils, but it's vague. I mean, he's just saying that they want to look at the, they want to provide a bit more money, but he's not giving any detail, I think, which is a pretty common, common strategy yeah, yeah, for him at the moment, the, right? The, he's not the, pledging his, his more His whole,
4: spending. I mean... In a in mild defence of Keir Starmer, he, he knows what's coming at the next election and he is just not exposing any vulnerable flanks to the Tories on anything. And there are things you can do in with, with tax where you don't raise the tax rate, as, as, as this government has shown, which inflation is enormously helpful if you just keep the bands the same, for instance. Um, we, we can all pay more tax.
5: Mm. Treven, what do you think? I think there are two questions about the local governments that really interest me. One of them is, is who bails out the councils and is there a limit to who bails them out? Does central, can central government endlessly bail them out or not? And, and the other is, do they have any scope to raise more money? Um, and it is part of this problem the problem of the, the property valuation that council tax is based on? Does that need to be revalued? And is is that politically impossible?
1: Yeah, I'm on the first point. I think that's a really interesting one to look at because if you care about good governments, you've got to look at it in the sense of a local council, rather than not just the national picture and what Labour would do, but also the point that how did, say, Woken Council decide to invest in a Hilton hotel to the degree that the council was responsible for buying the cutlery? is what local council leaders have reportedly said. And the hotel's still not built and all the cutlery's just sat in a drawer. And it's you've got to care about that level as well. And you, I don't think you can expect central government to bail all of them out endlessly. There needs to be more scrutiny of governance at a local level.
3: The, the, the interesting thing, I think, is that the, the public sector graph of doom is being experienced by people. What Labour hasn't yet done is make the argument for a mandate for a different kind of public finances... I suspect we'll get a chance to get stuck back into uh, labour and tax. A political season is upon us. Um, but let's talk a different kind of political story, Westminster, China. This pitch is in the style of John le Carre.
4: Um, <laughs> if you walk down Whitehall, you'll see an anonymous little door on your left just near Parliament. And if you walk through and go through a scanner and pass a. Armed policemen, you'll suddenly find yourself in a dingy basement from which British government is run. And there, it turns out, perhaps, or perhaps not. who knows? Um, uh, Chinese intelligence may have infiltrated um, an agent to uh, answer MP's letters. Um, this is the this is a very, very exciting story over the weekend in The Sunday Times that a parliamentary researcher was arrested. Um, some months ago, actually, um, uh, and is accused of spying for the Chinese state. Um, uh, Some places are naming him, some aren't. Um, uh, He's been named in The Times as Chris Cash. Um, And uh, he has, in fact, this morning issued a statement saying that he is completely innocent Uh, I have spent my career trying to educate others about the challenge and threats presented by the Chinese Communist Party to do what has been claimed against me in extravagant news reporting would be against everything I stand for. So So... this is
3: either one of two scandals. Either it is Chinese infiltration of a parliamentary researcher who was close to the security minister, Tom Tugendhat, the head of the Foreign Affairs Select Committee, Alicia Kearns, scandal one, or scandal two, a total misrepresentation of this person <laughs> and smeared as a Chinese spy when in fact working for a group of MPs who are focused on trying to uh, manage control, push back Chinese influence in the UK.
4: Yes. And it is very important to say that, that he has not been charged and it is some months since he was arrested, which does make me very slightly nervous about this. It,
3: What's your instinct
4: on it, Rob? I, I don't know anything about the specific case, but I think there is a my pitch for this as a story is that there is this big debate in Westminster about how do you deal with China, how do you respond to China? And whatever the rights and wrongs of, of this specific case, it is undoubtedly the case that the Chinese state is behaving in an, in an extremely aggressive way towards
3: more so than the U.K, more so than the U.S. and China.
4: I think, well, does Britain spy on China? I hope Britain spies on China. I mean, all that money
3: we're giving MI6, they would be doing something with it. And by the way, this effort, which is to try to understand members of parliament who are personally devoted to trying to influence China policy, frankly, if the Chinese state weren't trying to understand that dynamic, you'd ask yourself, what are they doing? Yes, I have written books
4: about spying, about intelligence. One of the really interesting things about intelligence is the the extent to which it's very often off- recognisable to a journalist as being awfully like journalism. Yeah. Um, and it's partly it's recognisable to a journalist as being awfully like journalism in that sometimes people take a bit of a punt um, and uh, offer up information they're not completely certain of and sometimes they fiddle their expenses and sometimes they claim to have um, contacts with people they don't really have contacts with. I'm sure none of that happens. What do, you, what, what, do, what do you
5: think, Stephen? I think there are three levels to this story and one of them is the sort of Um, the kind of really straightforward point, which is, um, you know, as we know, the sun rises in the east, water is wet, great powers spy on each other. That's (laughs) clearly going to be the case. I think there's a second part of it, which is sort of human part. And it's sort of question of, you know, what exactly is going on with the, the guy who's at the center of this? So, you know, you either have a situation where someone, you know, what this person is accused of is perhaps at worst betraying their country. So what are the motivations for doing that? Or it's a blunder it's a blunder by the security services he's innocent and he you know we've just misunderstood this and you know what is what is the sort of you know there's a there's a kind of world of difference between those two and then again perhaps there isn't and i think that points us to the third level of the story which is the confusion in british officialdom about china mm. so i think the us is much clearer about what china is they're much clearer about the sense that china is a strategic competitor one that must be understood one that must be challenged but you know that's explicit, I think, Maybe made explicit, but we're not clear about that here, and I think there's an there's a grey area where this kind of story can emerge. Mm. Jess, what do you think?
1: I was just going to pick up on Jeevan's third point there, which I think that a lot of the tension around this story is not so much what China is capable of, but what Britain is capable of in terms of defence and identifying the threat and being able to challenge China when necessary. There was quite a scathing intelligence report that came out early in the summer which said that Britain has no strategy on China, let alone an effective one. And I think this kind of talks to that idea that we might be vulnerable and how do we get to a position where we do have just a clearer strategy whereby we can... Uh, engage with China where you need to, because you can't just block them out. That's ridiculous. So
3: I'll come with my prejudice. I lived in China in the late 90s. I loved it. I have Chinese friends. I am much more by experience and um, outlook, engage with China than disengage with China. Other people take completely the other view. And I understand it. Because of Xi Jinping, because the way in which Xi Jinping runs China is so repressive and uh, and Xinjiang, I believe, is like one of the great human rights, probably the greatest human rights uh, uh, scandal in the world today. But there's a gap between being anti-China and anti-Xi Jinping. And so what I worry about is that this case becomes an excuse for a kind of group of people who encourage... I'm aware of using this word, but a sort of McCarthyite witch hunt around Chinese influence in Westminster.
4: To take a a a, 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 a parallel situation, all that stuff a few years ago about whether um, Jeremy Corbyn had been a, a Czech spy or yeah. something. It is entirely possible that Jeremy Corbyn appeared in a Czech spy's expenses in the 1980s. If you were a if you were a defence attaché in the, the, the Czech embassy, you doing the you, work. You, you know, you he, he would be worth taking to lunch, and he'd probably say yes. And uh, and he would do that entirely innocently and and above board, and he wouldn't think there was anything to be ashamed of. And you might well then, as I say, spies like journalists sometimes exaggerate and pad and so on um, what they're doing, <laughs> and you then go back and you say, well, you know, I mean, I think he's I think he's on our team, and. Um, I, and, and, and so when we sort of then 30 years later sit there and go through their files, their files, even what they thought they were doing may not may Maybe not be a actually... yard or two away from what was happening. Yes.
3: Um, the, the, the amazing this is one of those stories where what you really want is um, news announced to go leaving the news today. A story about which we know very, very little. (laughs) (laughs) So on that basis, Rob, let's take a pause from that. Thank you for bringing that story in. uh, And then we're going to come to your story, Chief. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50
4: pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me.
0: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: I'm Afwa Hush.
0: I'm Peter Frankopan.
2: And in our podcast, Legacy, we explore the lives of some of the biggest characters in history.
0: This season, we're exploring the life of Cleopatra.
2: An iconic life full of romances, sieges, and tragedy. But who was the real Cleopatra? It feels like her story's been told by others with their own agenda for centuries.
0: But her legacy is enduring, and so we're going to dive into how her story has evolved all the way up to today.
2: I am so excited to talk about Cleopatra, Peter. Love Cleopatra. She is an icon.
3: All right, Stephen, what have you got?
5: So I'm climate editor at Tortoise, so my job is basically to pitch the apocalypse in various different flavours every week. (laughs) Um, This week's flavour is uh, something which goes by the hideously banal name of the UN's global stocktake of greenhouse gas emissions, and it basically is marking our homework in the eight years since Paris. And, well, surprise, surprise, it tells us emissions are still going up, although the rate at which they're going up is slowing. Uh, We're not on track for 1.5 degrees centigrade, and just to explain the reason why this matters... An increase of 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels is the difference between life and death for a lot of small countries, for a lot of island nations in the the Pacific. But it's also a hotter, less pleasant, less habitable planet uh, for most of us. But where we're actually heading is 2.5 degrees centigrade by the end of this century. So it's a significantly uh, less pleasant place to live. Significant damage is going to be done to, to this planet and to humanity's life on
3: it. So, is it the less th- catastrophic, just achieving that 2.5, because I never quite know what to think about that. Some people say four is just a complete disaster. 2.5 is livable.
5: Yeah. So, I mean, every every fraction of a degree matters, and we don't appear to be headed for the worst outcome. Uh, we don't be headed for the most apocalyptic predictions, but, you know, the most apocalyptic predictions are, you know, a greenhouse planet, an unlivable place. So, you know, we're, we're in a place where humans probably can survive, but under significantly straitened circumstances. So I think the reason that this matters to me is that this is the moment the promises collide with reality. This is the moment when politicians have to do something. And there are two ways in which I think this is interesting. One is, um, if your countries. What does this do? Does this just crush every other interest that you have? Or do you say, actually, no, we still have national interests. We're China and we say, you rich countries, you should cut emissions faster. Or the US and you say, you, China, you're now the world's biggest emitter. It's your responsibility. Is it, does it become a kind of fight between countries rather than a kind of challenge that we all face? And the second part of this, and the part that I, I really wonder about, and I think connects us to um, Jess's story, is how do politicians find the language for this? How do they talk about it? Mm. And one thing that really struck me over the weekend was Rishi Sunak talking, using the word "hair shirt," saying he's not going to make me wear, wear a hair shirt when it comes to net zero. And I thought that was really interesting. Why are you presenting it this way? Why are you presenting it as a negative rather than saying these are things we can mobilise around? This is an urgent challenge, you know. Rather than being, uh, for want of a better term, Rooseveltian about the challenge in front of us, you know, couldn't this be inspirational? So, so those are the two things as journalists that interest me about this. Jess?
1: I kind of, I. I'm wondering as a newsroom how you tell the story in a way that actually wakes people up more. Because we keep coming around to these stories of impending apocalypse. And it It still feels like
5: like the car alarm that goes off all the time. All the time. And we're just
1: ignoring it now. It feels like we're just still sleepwalking into apocalypse. And I don't know. I can't see, as you say, I can't. Maybe Mia Motley from Barbados seems to be one of the inspirational leaders talking about climate. But I can't see many others really trying to explain to people or galvanize action in a way that at this point, as the report seems to make clear, we, we really need to.
3: It was interesting. So I was having a conversation over the weekend with someone about the future of London, right? And, you know, we, in a narrative of ourselves, you know, your point, Jess, about councils, et cetera, which was the UK's in trouble, the UK's not working. And then we started having a conversation, well, how do we compare with our neighbours I think one of the reasons it was prompted was Macron and the booze. And I was like, well, France has got its politics. Germany's really slowing. And then this person said to me, and all the southern European countries are just too hot. And that the UK will benefit, as it has from language and time zone, from climate. Well actually the one sort of the one coda that I would add to
5: this is that if we worried last week about schools crumbling, trains being cancelled, how <laughs> confident do you feel in the UK state dealing with with vast floods for example or dealing with wildfires? Uh, no, no, i we no, entirely no, sanguine no, about this, this, this prospect. Is, this, is,
3: this is not a pretty argument, but the argument is vast floods, but not as vast as the floods elsewhere or the fires elsewhere or the droughts elsewhere. I mean, but, <laughs> will,
1: but the UK will then very much be dealing with, if, well, among all the other things, but with a vast number of people who will right, then have to leave right. and come to the UK as Exactly. If, if so I don't. were
4: trying to worry a Conservative <laughs> MP about climate change, I would exactly. say, what do you think is going to happen when all of these places become become unlivable? And, you know, and you can't export people to Rwanda, even if you could, because, you know, because it's, it's impossible to, it. because everyone is leaving Rwanda because Rwanda is too hot.
3: I'm not trying to make the what? argument for climate as a competitive advantage, but it'll be a reality. Um, let me try and wrap this up. There's a reason that most news bulletins are leading with Morocco. It's the story you should lead with. And also listening to us, they'll be clear that the other stories are all very messy. But let's take our three... Um, Rob the rule here is you can't you know put two thumbs on your own story you've got to choose either Jess or Jeevens. if you had to choose of those two which one would you choose to lead but the problem with them both having sort of worked in
4: particularly in tabloids is that they're both deeply unsexy tabloid stories but i would I would go with um councils because it's it is at least local and it will directly affect the my readers and it's it, I'm, I'm afraid you're the the problem with Jeevan's story is it's always a decade away. Even even as we sit here sweltering in the middle of a heat wave, it's always a decade away. As, as a sexy story, it's a it's a problem.
3: Jess?
1: I th- I'm going to swing for the climate story. We've just got to find a way to tell it that gets beyond the global stock take boring headline.
3: Jeevan? Um I'd lead with councils because I love the detail about the cutlery. So for what it's worth, I would run China third because I just don't think we know enough and I'm really nervous about that story. But even if we knew, I wonder whether or not it tells us as much about the relationship between China and the UK and China's interest in the world as the scandal headline China spy uh, tells us. Uh, I'd run council second because Birmingham last week was the week we should have led with it. It was a big moment. Woking a few weeks back when we did talk about it was the moment to lead with it. It's just going to keep on gathering. And so even though Stephen's story is dry as a stick, you know, uh, <laughs> 2.5 degrees. I sort of think that we need those moments where there's a number that everyone can understand and remember and it lodges in people's minds and it's a, it's a big call. We're a couple of months away from COP and if you now know the trajectory is not 1.5 but 2.5, you know something. It's an idea you can drop on your foot. So with that, 2.5, Woking and the rest going bust. And China are they aren 't they did he didn 't he? Rob, Thank you very much for coming Absolutely in. Um, I encourage everyone who 's listening to the news meeting to go and enjoy uh, Rob Hutton 's sketches of the Critic. Um, they are funny, yes, um, but also somehow get to the mood in the House of Commons that often the news doesn 't get close to, so do have a read. Um, Cheven, thank you very much for joining us, Jess, as ever. Thank you for listening. Um, We're going to be back at the end of the week. um, But as I said right at the start, if you've got a story that you think really should be leading the news, just let us know, newsmeeting at tortoisemedia.com. And if you want to know what it's like to lead the Fifth Republic through difficult times, take a listen to the welcome that Emmanuel Macron got. (laughs)
2: i'm afwa hirsch
0: i'm peter Frankopan.
2: and in our podcast legacy we explore the lives of some of the biggest characters in
0: history this season we're exploring the life of cleopatra
2: an iconic life full of romances sieges and tragedy But who was the real Cleopatra? It feels like her story's been told by others with their own agenda for centuries.
0: But her legacy is enduring. And so we're going to dive into how her story has evolved all the way up to today.
2: I am so excited to talk about Cleopatra, Peter. She is an icon.